everybody, and welcome back to another new edition of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me as always is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? Well, hey there, Sir Alan of the Roundtable. I am uh, doing well. I'm uh, glad to be here. I'm looking forward to today's podcast. Yeah, we've uh, we've got a little bit of a special edition today for, for our listeners at home, uh, sometimes right. AKA viewers. Yeah, well, yeah. we don't know. We're going to table that. We'll table that. We'll figure that out eventually. Maybe one day yeah. we'll launch that YouTube channel we've always talked about. I think we do. We have yeah. one. I think we got like one podcast on it. <laughs> Maybe that CERN place can figure it out. Yeah, well, CERN and CERN 2, you put two super colliders together. I think we'll get it. Oh, I yeah, I, I, you get a CERN 3 then. <laughs> Is that how that works? I, I know math. I, I do not, apparently. <laughs> so no surprise to anyone here. At the yeah. round table, so to speak. <laughs> oh, well. Well, anyway, yeah, I'm excited too, Mark. You know, today is uh, what we call one of them, their special edition podcast. Yeah. Today is actually a... Live from Pawnee presents Pawnee Spotlight. That's right. A Pawnee Spotlight. There you go. Oh, uh, I'm looking forward to this. Me too. Well, Mark, we should tell our listeners slash viewers at home that uh, today uh, with this Pawnee Spotlight, we're featuring our full length interview with Andrew Berlinson. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we had him. Uh, we had played a couple clips on last week's edition, which was our season four grab bag. If you've got a chance to listen to that, if you did not, please go out and check it out. Yeah. If you didn't go back and do it right now, we'll yeah, wait. Yeah, we'll wait. We'll sit here and wait. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. No one's doing it. They're done. Yeah, they're done. It was real quick. Yeah. The magic of editing. <laughs> but, um, no, we had a great interview with Andrew and I'm looking forward to sharing with everybody. We, we played two great clips from that, but I, I think we probably talked for, gosh, I don't know, maybe almost an hour and uh, super nice guy, really down to earth, really, you know, just easy to talk to. He made it easy on us as hosts. I completely agree. I, I couldn't have said it any better. And so I won't even try. Well, thank you. We both agree on that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, you know what, Mark? Why don't we kick this off, play the interview. We'll come back and say goodbye to everybody at the end. How's that sound? I love it, man. Let's do it. All right. Well, without further ado, our interview with Andrew Burlington. All right, everybody, we have a terrific special guest today with dozens of acting credits, including character appearances on Silicon Valley, Criminal Minds, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, along with recurring roles on Grip and Electric, Just Add Magic, and of course, Parks and Recreation. You know him as Burley, the lead guitarist of the most awesome sauce rock band ever, Mouse Rat. Please welcome Andrew Berlinson. What's up, you guys? What's up, what's up, what's up? Hey, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Happy to be here. We are the greatest, what'd you say, the greatest soft rock I said, band? I, I said the most awesome sauce rock band in America. The uh, most awesome sauce band, yeah, there you go. Maybe Agreed. the world. Yeah, I'd say the probably, world, yeah. Probably, probably the world. Probably the world, yeah, yeah. Andy would say so, for sure. <laughs> oh, and God bless Andy Dwyer. <laughs> uh, well, thanks again for joining us. Where are you guys? Uh, we're in Indianapolis. All right, I've been to Indianapolis. Have you? Yeah. I have. I um, I, I lived in Chicago for a bunch of years, and I booked a commercial while I was living there for Indianapolis uh, tourism. Oh, really? Oh, and, wow! Yeah, that's I know. great. And it was like uh, it was a fun gig, and I I got flown out and spent a couple of days there, and that was it. Just messing around with people, making Indianapolis look like fun. Hey, well, good job. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. Yeah, it. you did it. it. You're the one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're the one. Yes, guys. What's up? What's up? What are we talking about? We'll start off just by saying this week we're covering episode 15 from season four, which is called Dave Returns. Uh, this is one of your 15 appearances. It is. How did you actually come to Parks and Recreation? Let's start there. Uh, my story at Parks and Rec, my entry into Parks and Rec is very personal, actually. Mike Shore and I go way back. We met when we were freshmen in college and we did some theater together in college and then we were roommates in new york after school and then she took off to la i uh did blue man group in chicago for a bit oh, wow. so then i finally moved on from that corporate gig and uh moved to la and mike was directing his first episode of parks which was the end of season one and he said hey there's gonna be this band and uh would you like to be the drummer 
And he knew that I was a singer songwriter for many years. I've been playing the drums since I was a kid. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I, I thought I was going to be an extra for the day. And he wanted to just sort of hang out. So I came to set. I'm the drummer. Actually, we went to a rehearsal beforehand and Rivers, Mark Rivers, the wonderful man behind all the songs for Mouse Rat, um, he said, you know, I'm not really comfortable playing guitar in front of cameras. Do you want to switch with me as you play guitar? So I swapped. Mm -hmm. So I play guitar and bass also. So we swapped on, and then I became the guitarist. And so then uh, we got to set. We had fun. That was a really fun episode to shoot. They never knew if they were getting renewed or not. It was always right. like on the bubble at the end of every season. So we just had a really fun time. <laughs> We shot some scene, uh, some lines that got cut out, and then, uh, and then lo and behold, we got picked up again, and I came back, and I couldn't believe it, and and so there it was. I, they kept having me back. Uh, I felt weird because I was just basically Mike's buddy, but you know, I, he knew I was an actor who could. He knew I'm an actor who could hang, and you know, if they throw me a line, I can handle it. And uh, and he said, you know, I'm just going to call you Burley. Is that okay? I said, yeah, that's fine. That sounds funny. <laughs> And then all of a sudden they move into Burley's house. Everybody's laughing that I'm all over their scripts. And so, yeah, so it was, you know, a, a who do you know situation. But I, I, I think that I was up for the challenge. You know, sometimes they say, like, it, it's who you know. And, yeah, if you get in the room, that's a huge help to have somebody get you in the room. Yeah, but once absolutely. you're in the room, you got you to gotta hang for yourself. You got to do your own thing once you're in the room. Don't make your friend look like a total idiot. So, I, I, you know, hopefully <laughs> I pulled that off. <laughs> we think you did a great job. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I kept coming back. It, one thing I wanted to ask, and you kind of alluded to it, you know, you, you kept coming back. When you first um, auditioned, did you think that this was going to be like a one and done? Or did you have any idea that it was going to be a recurring role? Well, you know, luckily enough, I did not have to audition at all. He just said, would you come in and, oh. and hang out? And I said, sure. And uh, Mike's seen my work before. and He knew I was working and booking a lot of commercials. And he knew I'd been doing a lot of theater and some TV. So, you know, I, I so I thought it was just one and done. I thought that was it. And, um, and I was bummed out about that because I've, I've done that before where I showed up on, a, you know, like I did a show called uh, The Wedding Band where I played another guitarist with a bunch of great guys and I had a really fun character and then they didn't get picked up for season two. So, you know, luckily with Parks and Rec, they kept coming back and, and yeah, I thought it was a one-off thing. Like, you know, uh, Pratt was only supposed to be in the first season and he kept, you know, charming everybody yeah. and making everybody die laughing. So they're like, we, we can't, we can't get rid of this guy. <laughs> Probably a good decision looking back. Yeah. On both Absolutely. of you. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, how did you get started in professional acting? Um, we read about, you had some oh. theater experience and, and uh, you performed in some popular performance art groups involving a lot of blue paint you kind of alluded to. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, let's see. When I was in junior high, I did, uh, two things at the same time. I started playing music. Like I started singing and, and playing drums in a band. And on the other hand, I started doing plays like every other kid that gets into theater. I just started auditioning. I've been singing since I was a little kid and it's sort of a thing in the family. Everybody's got the music thing. So I started doing theater and I started doing music on the same track. And then that kind of never stopped. Uh, the thing about me, and I say this about people that say they want to be like an astronaut when they're a kid or a firefighter or something, we don't give up our childhood dream. All of a sudden you just are like, well, I'm not being discouraged from doing this. I'm being encouraged to keep going. And so you have like a latent love of it. And then you kind of keep going and going and going and passing these little hurdles and getting mentors sort of saying, yeah, you should keep doing this. And I was lucky that I grew up in a part of the country that is, you know, Broadway adjacent, basically. I grew up mm -hmm. in, in Westchester, right outside of New York City. So it was not uncommon for my family to go to Broadway shows and, and be sort of steeped in all of that. Uh, so I just kind of kept going through high school. I was very, and then I got more serious about it in college. Uh, I did a lot of theater in college. Uh, I, I did the hasty pudding at Harvard for four years, which was really surreal and really fun. And then uh, I think that was where I finally made the decision. I think I'm going to try to pursue this for a living. Mm. And I told my parents and they were, you know, again, incredibly, I was very, very fortunate. They were very, very supportive. Awesome. And, uh, and also they've been sort of listening to some of my directors and teachers, encouraging me, encouraging them. Like, you know, we think your kid can do this. He's not like totally delusional. And so <laughs> I, I decided, I said, you know, I think I'm going to do this, but I don't think I might, I, I said to my dad flat out, I don't think I'm going to make any money at this time. I'm like 30. Are you cool with that? And he's like, you know, my dad was very cool about it. He said, he, uh, you know, he was in the army, then he was in 
law school, dropped out of law school. Then he was in business school. He's like, I didn't make any money at it until I was like almost 30. So, you know, I was like, oh, that's cool. It's very cool. A very nice thing to say. But luckily I beat that by about five years. And I, I got to New York and, and uh, I did that thing where you take classes and I played in a band and I was also, I, instead of waiting tables, I was a temp. I was like basically like a, a secretary. Uh, which was pretty funny in and of itself. And then I, I landed a gig at, at Blue Man Group by simply sending out my headshots every week for two and a half years. I'd send out wow. 10 or 15 headshots wow. to, through Backstage Magazine. And I just happened to land a gig that was pretty up my alley. And you needed to play drums. You needed to be well-versed in uh, clown and, and uh, improv, which I had been training in. And you had to be a certain height and weight. So I was like, you yeah. know, luckily I got the gig. So that was my first real professional job. And that that took me to Chicago for six years. And while I was in Chicago, I started doing commercials. Sorry, I just got uh, something from Postmates telling me I should order dinner. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, yeah, so, you know, that was my first gig. And I did commercials, got my SAG card, moved to L.A. And then that was, you know, we just kept going. And, and it is, you know, yeah. Uh, for me in particular, you know, I'm not like a household name. I'm definitely not famous, but I, I've been able to support myself now for uh, going on how many years now? Like 22 years as a professional actor. And yeah. so thank you. I, I'm, I've been really happy about it. And it's a grind. I mean, it's a grind and it's a marathon, yeah. I say, but there, there's proof that you can be a middle class actor. I'm ready for the that. bigger call any moment, but you, you have to just sort of put your work where it's going to land, you know? I think that's huge. I mean, I know there are a lot of aspiring actors out there and, you know, for four seconds back in the late eighties, I was one of them and, you know, went a totally different path, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's got to, that's going to be really intimidating for a lot of people that think, you know, if I don't make it, I'm going to be stuck waiting tables. And it's good to know that there is a reasonable middle ground out there. Yeah, there is. And I, the, the writing is on the wall now, especially I think younger actors coming up, are, are pretty well aware that you have to make your own content. They are, they're, they're all multi-hyphenates at this point. They write, they direct. I caught on to that a little bit later as a lot of people in my generation did, but luckily I got that going as well. You mentioned the Grip and Electric show. We actually did that ourselves. I co-wrote that, we produced it. I saw that. My wife was in it with me. We, we, you know, so that's one of those things where like, you know, sometimes you have to make your own work, you invest in yourself to keep the motors going and to keep, you know, to, to, to keep good, you know, to, to stay practiced at your craft, as they say. But, but yeah, man, I appreciate that. It, it's, uh, it is important for especially young actors to know that you don't have to be, you know, on a billboard to be successful mm -hmm. at what you do. I think that's true of anything, right? And it's true of any, any career, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Mark and I are uh, both been kind of stuck here in the corporate world until we, uh, we got interested in doing this podcast about a year and a half ago during COVID. And so, you know, I had a creative hat on 30 years ago and took it off for 30 years. So it's been fun just kind of being back into writing and producing a little bit and just even on our little podcast. So uh, that's, that that's the only awesome. way I can relate. So no, that is awesome. You got a great setup there. You sound great. I mean, it, it's incredible again with the technology and everyone's fingertips that you can do it yourself. Like I, I edit my own, I edit my own reels. I've edited reels for friends and, especially now, like we had to pivot pretty quickly during COVID uh, yeah. where my wife, who's also an actress, we had to uh, audition at home and everything is done, you know? And so luckily I'd already taught myself, um, you know, final draft, final cut. And so you put your, your auditions together and you throw them in. I know that there were a lot of actors scrambling to catch up with that stuff and we had already been doing it. So yeah, it's a whole new, whole new world with this, but it's cool that like it, it stokes your creative fires again. This is great. Look at us, like talking on our screens right. from thousands of miles away. <laughs> That's great. Well, speaking of the creative, I know on the music side, you mentioned, you know, you, you and, and Mark Rivers kind of traded places. What is the most comfortable instrument in your wheelhouse? Is it voice? Is it drums? Is it guitar or all of the above? It's actually, uh, I would consider myself a, a singer first. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, and then drums were, were definitely... Um, I thought I was a pretty good drummer and then I got cast in blue man group and I saw what the other guys can do. And I was like, Whoa, I got some catching up to do. So I did some catching up, but still, I mean, those guys are, some of them are unbelievable drummers. Uh, wow. I, I feel, I feel strong in that regard. So I, I, I've actually been playing in a band as a drummer for a while out here. And I think we're on a hiatus because uh, the lead singer is Henry Thomas, who's the actor. 
and he's been working he's been working a ton and he's been all over the place so i don't i think we might be getting back together at some point i'm not really sure i'm not really sure what's going on but yeah and then i taught myself bass next and played bass in a band and this uh i played drums and then i played bass and and guitar was always the thing i used for songwriting so actually guitar is my my least competent uh instrument but i'm still comfortable with it that's great because everybody in mouse yeah. rap plays their own instrument right technically oh yeah yeah, yeah definitely that is so cool that is we so had a, cool. We, we had a blast, and and every t every time we shot, we would do at least one take really live, with like a with a little invisible earwig that would give you the click track, so they could edit it together. And I think they used a live take on a couple episodes. I'm pretty sure. What song? Do you guys know what song we played on the Dave Returns episode? I'm not really sure. That episode, <laughs> I believe, they are trying to do Leslie's campaign song. Oh wow, uh, that's that was so much fun! Oh my yeah. god, it's got the "We Are the World" um, vibe thing going, so, right? Yeah, and actually a couple of bar chords, which is very complicated for mouse rap. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> very advanced. That was advanced. I was like, Mark Rivers, did you put a bar chord in here? Are you are you insane? <laughs> who do you think who do you think we are? No, that was a that was a blast. We had Duke Silver sitting in, and he can that's really right. play too. That was amazing. <laughs> Offerman can really play so great. Now that was such a good time. We were in a studio. We were having a good time. Everybody's there. Rob Lowe was singing the uh, national anthem off key, which was he was really going for it. <laughs> <laughs> As I recall, everyone singing on that track is a little off key, and it kind of peeves Andy off. I think that's how it oh, yeah. starts. Yeah. Did I send you that picture of me photobombing in the back? Like the whole cast is gathered together. I think I was supposed to send you a picture. Oh yeah, where send they, it the, in. We'll, we'll, the director yeah, of the episode gathered everybody. I don't know, I was maybe in the bathroom or something and I like ran into the picture right in time and I'm in the back like this <laughs> and there's the whole cast in the front. And I was like, yeah, this is so great. Uh, punk rock moment, yeah. What a good time. Good. Every time I went back, it was like, it was like a family of people. I, I tell you that, um, I've said this before that and I'm talking about like working with actors that are that are much more successful than you are, but have no ego. Uh, that that that's exactly what Amy really is. She's such a great leader. And when the person who's number one on the call sheet is like working really hard and keeping it really positive and really keeping it kind of egalitarian, then nobody else has an excuse to be an a hole. You know, like everybody's got to be cool. And she really set the tone and really mentored some of the younger actors on my show. And it was just such a good time. Like everybody, everybody genuinely enjoyed each other's company. And you could tell like what a good time it was just to dip in there. And I was a fan of the show. So I'd go back every season and I was like, this is surreal. I, I wish, you know, I wish I could be here all the time, but I love the show itself. So just coming back as a fan was, was really like a little dream. I bet. That was that was something that we've heard from from others that we've had the the pleasure to interview Andrew that uh, Amy I almost said Leslie no <laughs> <laughs> she's that convincing she is that convincing yeah. Amy Poehler and um and and the others really led by example and made it seeming like it was a really fun time and just made everyone feel very welcome so that's awesome oh, yeah. you, you love Absolutely. to hear that yeah you, you know and I think that's a testament to Mike as well Mike sure is that kind of guy as well. He's, he gives a lot of thought and love into the smallest little details of the world. And he uh, he also really cultivated a, a wonderful writer's room that's full of people that were incredibly talented who've now gone off to basically, like they're running Hollywood and all these various shows. They're incredible people. But all the details gave them all so much joy. And, and Mike was such a, a person that wanted to to stoke those creative juices. I mean, I think every season when he hired new writers, he would ask you, you would ask the, the potential writer, what would you do to improve the show? Wow. Which I think is such an egoless thing, which is so great. And and he really took everybody's best, uh, best care, you know, characteristics and, and let them shine. You know, there's also the story of how um, I believe that, he, you know, we talked at one point we were on set and we were talking about a friend had a pilot that was, that was going to go and what a difficult time they were having casting this pilot and how a lot of executives don't understand necessarily that um, the character comes from the actor and not necessarily vice versa. And the tradition forever has been that you write a character and the actor just fills that character. But I know that on the office and then again here in Parks and Rec, uh, they cast Amy and Rashida, I think, basically, and and then uh, filled the desks with people they thought would just be interesting, huh. and then kind of shaped the characters around them. 
And if you believe, like, again, I'm really steeped in that old clown commedia dell'arte type of comedy. If you believe that everyone has like an inner clown, then the writers would identify that and write to that person's clown. And so what you see is a, a, a fictionalization of all of the actors, like to their nth degree. And so that makes everybody kind of jazzed, you know, it makes everybody create better, you know? That's great. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I know we saw that, you know, as like Retta got more lines and Jim O'Hare got more lines and those, they just got more involved in the show and Aziz, you know, kind of his arc that same way They everybody yeah. kind of feel like they got the best out of everybody. Oh, exactly. And you could see the way they course corrected so fast in season two. Yeah. I mean, I feel like when I tell people to watch the show, I tell them to start with the last episode of season one and Wikipedia, the rest of it. No offense, but you know, the show really hits its stride at that point. The first that episode, it's all right. We did it. <laughs> it's not a coincidence. We really set that, we shut, we set that show off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we review the shows. We always measure in little Sebastian's. So yeah. um, we were, we were a little tough on season one, like everyone else, but I think, you know, we just love the show a lot, you know, and we try yeah. to give it some grace, you know, like you should for something that's starting from scratch. And really all of Mike's shows, you know, they they have something in common that we really like about them. And so when this show finally gets in to be itself, I think it's one of the best television comedies of, of all time, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I, it's really interesting how, I don't know if that could happen now, the way that, that television is structured, but I, there was a sweet spot right there where they got in, they were allowed to grow, they were allowed to really find their footing and it's incredible how it paid off. And, and, the, and the longevity of this show too. I mean, we had a 10th anniversary a couple, what was that, a couple of years ago. And so it's just sort of the love for the show keeps going. And that to me is such a testament of the fact that like people want to revisit this world and kind of live in there. Oh, you yeah. know? And, and also there's always that golden goose in Hollywood of finding a show that's four quadrant, as they say, something that a family can watch together. Yeah. And this unexpectedly hit that. I mean, it proved that there's a way to write comedy that uh, can skirt a PG, I mean, you know, vaguely PG 13 rating, but really have a, such a good heart without it being vanilla. That's great. Yeah. Andrew, you you were on Parks and Rec fifteen times, if I remember right. Um, do you do you have a favorite? Do you have an episode that just really speaks to you or that you really enjoyed or thought was especially funny? Well, I really did love shooting the the stuff for um, when we were recording "Catch Your Dreams" in the studio. Leslie Nope's uh, campaign song that was such a good time, just because everybody was there and it was almost like hard to get the cameras rolling because we were all talking so much and just having a really good time. <laughs> Um, but the, the unity concert was mind boggling as well. I mean, being up on that stage, it was seriously a thrill. I mean, I know that the extras are paid to be there, but it was actually su such a dream. I mean, I've played, I've played in rock bands and as a blue man, I've actually, I, I've done some stadium appearances and appearances for like tens of thousands of people. So I've had that experience, but it, but it, when it's mouse rat, it was totally different because it was like, this is hilarious that we went from that bar to this. And I actually took a shot of Pratt. I mean, I mean, he was looking out at the audience and he took, he looked back at me like, this is really crazy. Like, can you, every, I feel like every actor wants to be a rock star and every rock star at some point pretends that they're an actor. And so we were kind of doing that thing and it was really fun. I mean, for me too, like sharing a microphone with Jeff Tweedy was like, I know. absolutely. So he's such a good guy. That was really, really surreal. Uh, and a, a snapshot of us, you know, showed up in Rolling Stone magazine, which is like that. That means that Mouse Rat is legit. If we were in Rolling yep. Stone. That's right. That's exactly right. Did <laughs> yeah, you frame so that you on your wall? Yeah, no, I should. I really should like have some physical. Everything is in the cloud, but I, I, I need some kind of physical thing. I didn't even get the album that came out. I think that I was, was supposed to pick up a copy from from somebody. But uh, I, that was so funny that they released the album. That was a whole other kick in the pants for like. Everyone's like, congratulations. I said, I had no idea this was happening, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. We did a, a little bit on our show where I think we, um, 
that was the deluxe album i think what was ours called mark the deluxe uh you know awesome sauce the awesome sauce edition was what ours was yeah, called. yeah and we we teased that there were like eight on you know hidden tracks that only we had access to of course you know we're still waiting for somebody to send those to us but uh one of these right, days exactly that's right i don't yeah. know if there is any other material like i don't think i think that's it i think we're tapped out they used it all it, it's all well it's on frequencies that no human ear can hear there yeah. it is <laughs> yeah yeah I, I don't know how many times alan and i have said back and forth i mean obviously parks and rec is hilarious and mouse rat is funny and awesome but i mean every single time we hear those songs we go they're actually pretty good i know i i i agree with you mark rivers really tapped into something there and i don't think that's easy to do i, I mean i was a songwriter for a long time and believe me to write a song that's three minutes long that that people keep singing over and yeah. over again it gets i mean that people actually like that's that's really hard to do and i know that everything is sort of vaguely in the key of g but that's kind of what pop music is right it, like good pop rock music is you everybody feels like they could play along and so it kind of that's why like the pit really caught on and <laughs> you get these songs that sound like a bar song that sound like a song that a band would be playing in a bar yeah. like legitimately playing in a bar and uh you know i had this idea that I'm, I'm like i would love to do this at some point some kind of non-profit music festival where you get together every fictional band that ever played and try to get them <laughs> to actually play live uh we could do like scrantonicity oh my and god the guys from a mighty wind I love that. and then that of course you know of Brilliant. course uh spinal tap with Headline, spinal tap of course. yeah oh yeah, yeah. Of we course. better get on that one they're so they're the ogs that's they're right the best of all time yeah that would be that'd be a lot of fun it, it is such a good it is such a unique thing when you put us put music into anything it really jazzes people up like people can't believe it when when actors can actually play and when actors can actually sing if people go crazy so it's just also on set such a fun thing to pull off. People get jazzed up because they really they feel the energy of it. And we played live. So we actually played live at um, a couple of the rat parties too, which was really fun. So that That's was great. like our legitimate, our legit bar gig right there a couple of times. And then the show got too popular and the, and the, uh, the, the uh, rat parties got kind of too big. So we never, we stopped playing with them. Yeah. But at first it was like a small band of very sweaty, drunken people you know, and mouse rat in a, in a real bar in Culver city, like playing, playing a gig. Like in the rock show episode, for example, I mean, that's what it looks like. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's exactly it. It's, that's we great. kind of recreated that at the rap party for season one. It was really fun. It was really fun. We, we review the DVDs, just like deleted scenes and stuff like that as part of our show too. And so we've watched a lot of those and I know season two, I think the rap party, there's a live video of you guys playing live from season yeah. two on there. It's very good. actually. I, I've seen it. It's really yeah. fun. I, was, I remember that night distinctly and we were like having a blast. And I think we started a song and we, we accidentally played the song before it. <laughs> we had to like start again because <laughs> they're all like G to C to D or G D C or whatever. And Pratt was like, wait, what are the chords again? And then, uh, and then we went into, we couldn't get the rights for it for the DVD, but we, we went from the pit into, I think, into Paradise City by, uh, by Guns N' Roses and then back into the pit. But they had to like nice. edit that out because we couldn't get the rights to that to put to put on the DVD. Another oh, man, grand. that was such a good time. I miss, don't great. you guys miss like DVD extras like that? Yes. I miss like you know Absolutely. commentary tracks and things like this. Yeah. Yep. There's no incentive yep. to do it anymore, but I, I think fans would love it, and I think that you know now they rely on 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 podcasts to fill in the blanks for that. Yeah. Well, we've been trying for sure, and I know that with the office going on Peacock. They've been doing those supersized episodes. I'm hoping that we'll eventually see some for for Parks as well. So, um, you know, oh, that'd be great because I, I know that I know that Burley got alted out a few times. Really? Okay. <laughs> I know that so. I had some scene, some scenes here and there that we shot that did not end up in it. Um, one where I I land back in the house where Andy and and uh, uh, Aubrey Plaza are getting was her uh, April. Yeah, Andy and April are getting married. Uh, and I'm like, what are you guys doing in my house? So that's the scene that we shot. And then, um, I know we're all roommates, but you're getting married. Like, I didn't know this was happening today. And then, uh, there's one episode where they, they gave me a girlfriend and Andy and April go to my parents' lake house. And then they, they cut over to me and my girlfriend were like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, this is our weekend. What are you? So 
it's pretty funny how they just created this dynamic between Andy and and Burley that like Burley just gets annoyed at Andy, but he loves him nonetheless. It's like you can't help but love this guy, but god damn it, he does all these things that are so annoying. <laughs> and I think it's it kind of came real. out of my it came out of my face like not just trying not to break all the time with Pratt because he was so funny and so alive and just like just going for it all the time. And so the foil to that in the scene is like just keep it together and just like don't just uh, just like grimace. You know, because I've actually played a lot of characters like Andy. And so it's like you can't meet Andy with another Andy. Like you have yeah. to sort of balance that out to be the foil in the scene. And so I was like, all right, right so Burley is just the straight man. That's what you got to do, man. That's that's what the role is now. <laughs> did you find yourself breaking a lot or did you like were there a lot of others on the on the cast that broke a lot? No, everyone's really good at that. I, I if you come from that world and you then you you're it's really real. It's really happening to you. And so you drop into that place. But if you hear a giggle from like a camera person or something, then you kind of always lose it. And and on the fun runs, when it just goes on for too long, and then it's like, oh my god, what's happening here? But it, <laughs> in, in general, in general, people really keep it together because you know, in, at the end of the day, it's like, come on, guys, we got to get out of here. Like we can't stick right. around all day. And, and you're like, oh my god, if you blow a take for somebody else, that's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I know you were in the zone. And I blew it for you. So no, I think people are really good at, at keeping it together, which is I mean impossible if you really look at it they're so funny we're right. a lot of talented people too i mean you mentioned pratt and he became his improv skills i think were probably pretty well unknown until he got into them and then of course you know what they go into then what i call the mcu phase right where we've got <laughs> pratt we've got paul rudd as ant-man yeah. we've got katherine hahn as angela harkness now it's like yeah. um you know yeah. it's it's a little bit interesting to me that all those superstars are generated on this show I'm not actually, I'm not entirely surprised by that at all, because if you look at the tone of the Marvel movies and the way that they have to skirt between very earnest and very mm. funny, I think all of those people can handle comedy. If you look at all of those actors, they are incredibly funny and and, and diverse. And I think that a mistake, in my opinion, in casting, if I were a casting director, um, when they have a comedy casting call, they always go for improv people and improv people and improv people. It's like, well, there's also like the thing called the great actor who can handle all of it. And I'm pretty sure that every great drama person that you think of uh, can probably handle some comedy. And it's and I used to think it was the other way around, that, that every comedian could easily handle drama. But I've been proven wrong in the last 10 years or so, <laughs> unfortunately, where you're like, wow, it's really hard to get improv people to sometimes, sorry, you know, it's not, it's a vast generalization. But it's hard to just drop the trying to be funny thing. Just just mm. be the person. Just do the thing. Like be the honest person here. The writers are incredibly talented. So just rely on the writing and and do what they're they've been working really hard in that room, like really hard. <laughs> and so the, the the not so secret secret about Parks and Rec is that there is very little to none, no improv at all. There was maybe a couple of lines here and there put in, but those were written lines written by by comedic geniuses. And then there are actors who come in who can absolutely make it sound as though it's totally off the cuff. And I think that's just a testament to the incredibly high acting chops of, of everybody that they got in there and their willingness to play with each other and have a lot of fun. And I know that that's kind of what the MCU is about. Like I, I was there, you know, when Pratt got, uh, not the moment that he found out he was Star-Lord, but, you know, around that time he got that news and he swore me to secrecy and he told me and, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it was not a surprise. I was like, "That that's awesome, man. I'm really happy for you. What exactly happened? He said, I think I was the only one that was funny. I'm like, yeah, there you go. That's there you awesome. go. He's just, it was just him being him and he got rewarded. He got rightfully rewarded for it. Yeah. And I to see them all go on. I mean, Aubrey, I think, is an incredible talent. Uh, and she's really, really funny and very artistic. Hmm. They've all gone off in their own particular um, sort of tone, I think, uh, where it's like if this if Parks and Rec was the Beatles, then what they've done <laughs> afterward is sort of their their solo yeah. careers. And you see, oh, I see what's going on here. They could easily all come together at any point and knock it out of the park again. But you can see where they're where they're all interested in going, which has been fascinating for me to see. Wow, that's great. I wouldn't have necessarily gotten there, but I, I think you're exactly right when I think about it. That's uh. The comedy is a big piece of what's we like about Marvel. I think you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah huge, huge heart. Yeah, and they don't take themselves too seriously. Right. 
How how cool was it that that Mike Schur was was willing to work with Chris Pratt when he got this movie with this raccoon in it? You know, he's like, yeah, go go ahead and do that. You know, uh, that, yeah. How, hmm. That's not a that's not an everyday thing. I mean, I, I I've heard of producers being really hard ass about that. Like you, you you have a contract, you have to be here. You you I'm sorry, we can't let you go do that other thing. Um, and that's happened to me before, where I was on a show, I was a series regular on a show, and I booked a pretty meaty guest spot on a different show. And they, the one day that it overlapped, it was turned out to be my day of shooting. And they tried to work it out, it didn't work out. And so, you know, it's like, oh, well, but, the, you know, I had a job and the producers were very cool. And I showed up and I didn't, you know, obviously, I'm happy to be there and happy to do my, my thing. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. But for Pratt, I think that, um, I can't speak for Mike and what happened there, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Mike knew that this was basically setting Pratt up for the next whatever his life. So this is the thing that, that really has to happen. And they made it work. And, and you know, they flew, what did they do? They flew everybody to London and shot the whole episode. They, yep. you know, they, and I think That's the last cool. time, I, the last episode I worked with, with Chris um, on the Johnny Karate episode, he had a fake beard on because I'm pretty sure he had like his Star-Lord uh, goatee and he was doing i think i don't know which one he was doing but they were in the middle and it's working concurrently and that was pretty crazy i mean so he was really you know doing that thing where did you ever hear the story about michael j fox with back to the future that whole thing where he uh he was shooting uh family ties during the day and then shooting back to the future at night and would like oh take God. a nap oh, he would like wow. take a nap in the golf cart on the way to the set Wow. And it's like that when you get it, you've got to take it. And I think that was what Pratt was doing. You know, you get that moment. It doesn't come around very often. You've got to really grab it while it's right in front of you. Yeah. I remember we, we were watching some footage, maybe Paley Fest or something, where Mike talked about, you know, that was an influence of Greg's, too, from the office on him. That they had, even on the office, they had let people kind of do their thing that wasn't necessarily part of the show they were on. And it almost always paid off in ways that were, you know, meaningful to that that person's performance on that show. So yeah, I, you know, like I investment. said before, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a smart investment. I think that that's a testament to Mike's leadership skills and Greg too. I've, I've met Greg a few times, and um, another Hasty Pudding alum. Right. Uh, that he he's <laughs> he he's a great. They're great leaders. I really feel like you know any corporate company would should take a look at that. I mean, how to maximize the incentive. I mean, these are people that love their job and they're really happy to be there, but do anything you can to sort of bring out their best. And that's not a thing that everybody does. You know, some people rule by fear and then it creates a pretty gross environment. Mm -hmm. I've been on those sets too, where you're like, Ooh, what's going on here? <laughs> and I right. stepped into it for today, you know, and you're like, all right, just keep my head down and do my thing. But people don't seem to really dig each other here. And you hear those stories, which I think is so crazy. Because I mean, what are we doing? We're playing cops and robbers for a living. I mean, we're the, we're the lucky people. Like, we get to play. We literally we're playing with with Legos for a living. So, like, come on, man. Everybody should chill out and realize we're not we're not like rescuing people in a war zone here. We're providing a fun thing for people to escape into and live in. And of course, everybody's worried about their livelihoods and they take it very seriously. I get that. But at the end of the day, how do you do that well? And I think you got to do it by just like letting people just be themselves. Totally agree. Well yeah. So speaking of Harvard, you, Mike, and Rashida, all class of 97. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah, Rashida and I actually lived on the same freshman floor, which was pretty funny. That's when we met when we were 18 years old. And there's also a bunch of other people in the same class. A guy named Charlie Grandy, who's a really funny comedy writer who's done a bunch of shows, including a show called uh, Guys with Kids that was on. Mm -hmm. He's a writer for that. He's a creator of that. Uh, Dan Gore was in our class as well. Yeah. And he uh, worked on parks and then worked on uh, creative Brooklyn 99. We were all uh, Dan, Charlie and I did improv together. Uh, Rashida, Mike and I did theater together. Dan and I did theater together. Charlie and I did theater together. There's also Mike Colton lived across the hall from me and he's the creator of, uh, of uh, home economics, which is on TV right now. Oh yeah. So yeah, that I, I was not in the Harvard lampoon, but the Harvard lampoon thing <laughs> is, is real in that, it, it's a, a training ground. It's like a professional training ground for writers that they, they model themselves from what I understand off of the SNL model, which is you got to pitch things and they get like rigorously torn apart and it makes you just a better writer and it makes you a funnier person. And, and, and it gives you a thicker skin as you get into this game. Like you're, you're ready for it. You, you know, that's the weirdest part about college is that some people 
go into the world totally prepared for what's happening. And some people go in like, oh my God, I've been living in La La Land for four years and now what the hell, what is this real world thing? Uh, well, I think that with, with the comedy world, Harvard is a weird sort of crucible for a lot of people that in a good way, it gives you a ton of confidence and a ton of the actual practical experience rather than sort of sitting and reading a book about comedy or just like doing it. Right. Which is so weird because I mean, Harvard's about sitting and reading books, right? It's Harvard, but <laughs> but but weirdly about in the world of of the arts, that actually has a surprisingly thriving arts scene that feeds obviously into Hollywood and New York and other yeah. places, and mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, it was it was a really really crazy time. I feel like that's some sort of weird like article that's going to be written someday about all the people that were there at the same time. And what have we done? We actually have our, our reunion this year, but I, I I'm not going to make it, but I feel like I see everybody I want to see. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> Do you guys go to your college reunions by any chance? Did you ever no. go? No. no. High school occasionally, yeah. not college. Yeah. No high school. I haven't even been back. What's the matter with me? I just burned bridges, I guess. I haven't <laughs> been to my high school reunions either. Oh my God. I guess maybe I was that guy that nobody liked and I don't want to admit it. <laughs> I think of it more like you do. I tend to I tend to keep in touch with the people that I want to keep in touch with and the rest kind of works itself out, you know? Yeah. 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 You you were talking about kind of that pipeline out of Harvard. And I, I think I heard I knew Conan was before you guys, obviously a few years, yeah. but he said roughly the same thing. It's just it's interesting. And you know, and, and you also went to a high school that produced quite a few people uh, of notoriety as too, that which I found kind of interesting. Is it that New How York did you find area thing? It, yeah how did you the internet did you do, it's pretty hard yeah yeah i've never really looked at that but i've been aware of that too that mamaronic high school is this really great public high school i was again really fortunate where i grew up really fortunate to have the parents that i had that i have that really really hardworking people who sort of allowed me to pursue the things that i was in love with and i think we were surrounded by like-minded people and, and obviously not everybody's in that situation uh and yeah coming out of mamaronic high school I know that there was uh, uh, at least one person on Broadway, somebody who won a Genius Prize for being a, a librettist on Broadway, and a couple of other comedians and actors, uh, Megan Nuringer, who's a writer and a comedian. And uh, it, it is pretty a pretty interesting group of people. I just saw um, a writer named Ariel Levy, who's incredible, who is my next door neighbor growing up, and she's been writing for The New Yorker and for other incredible places. And yeah, I mean, we, we were very, very fortunate where we grew up. And I, maybe it was just a pocket of time. Uh, I mean, I consider myself ladder Gen X, you know, so I could still walk to school and it was pre-internet. And I remember what that life was like. And yeah. there's something about that sense of humor at that time. I mean, we were just steeped in absolute most inappropriate stuff you can imagine. <laughs> and I've, I've tried to show my nephews some of this stuff and they're like, you what? How the hell did you want that's the worst that's so awful i'm like oh my god i'm so sorry i didn't realize and it's so true but it like it, it, it we were mentored by proxy by all the national lampoon guys really you know and snl was like our our absolute bible um and so yeah it, it, i think there's a new york thing and this a new york sense of humor to it and also that melting pot aspect of new york you know i'm i I come from um, Irish and English and Italian and Lithuanian people. So I'm like a total mashup of, of, of ethnicities and, and uh, cultures. And, and there's the same thing all over New York. There's the Irish and Puerto Rican and Jewish and French kids in my town, like every, everybody. And it was just like a, a fun little stew of people that were inspired by each other and competitive in a way, but, but, but in a fun way. And, and also just had this like basic gallows sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I'm like, I, I mean, I think that I'm a, a relatively funny person, but compared to some of these guys I went to high school, I'm like, God, I'm boring compared to them. They're so funny. These guys are professional level comedians and some of them aren't even like doing what I like. They're not even doing it for a living. Yeah. Wow. And my team, I guess my high school, my dad just sent me, my dad said that I guess my high school just won the national debate competition this year. My Maranek high school national debate champs. Go Tigers. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it must have started earlier there, too, because I, I, the list I looked at, you know, had the Dylan brothers on there, too. Uh, oh, Jeff yeah. Weiner, who uh, runs LinkedIn, that little thing. Uh, oh, I didn't know. I yeah. Oh, I forgot yeah. about that. That's right. Oh, my God. And Norman Rockwell. So and that's a while ago. So wait, what? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Go oh, go to your uh, your high school website and look at notable alumni. It's pretty interesting. Wow. 
Yeah. That is Whoa. And I, yeah. I know that like, I know that Ang Lee lives in the Marinick and uh, who's the other guy? He did um, Silver Linings Playbook. I, I'm having like a senior, mo- uh, David O. Russell. Yeah. He's oh. a large monk guy. Oh. Yeah. That's right. So again, like when I, when I give like any ad- advice to young artists or excuse me, when I give advice to any young artists or young actors, I, I always have the, the huge disclaimer that I was very fortunate that where I grew up in the time that I grew up in and my circumstances were, 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 were very conducive to just sort of like going for it and aiming for the fences. And when I moved to Chicago to do Blue Man, I met a lot of other artists, musicians who did not have it that easy and were like the only kid in their high school to do the arts or like that kind of thing from a place that didn't have a program and they still made it to this position that I was in too. And I was doubly impressed with that. I was like to, to overcome that kind of adversity at a young age and have that sense of yourself to know that that's what you want to do. I thought was absolutely incredible to me and, 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 and inspiring to me. And, and so it's, it's good to, to hear everybody's story because you, nobody's ever taking the same path to get there, obviously. So true. to be inspired by the people that like actually worked a lot harder than you did to get where you're at, you know, so you see that and, 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 and they dealt with a lot more, like a lot less encouragement than I did. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. I think the most famous person out of my high school is Joyce DeWitt uh, from three. Oh. So, yeah. Oh man. She's great though. Come on. Yeah. I was president of the thespian society and uh, I kept the books one year and I looked in there and, there's Joyce DeWitt's signature. I'm like, that's kind of cool. So, oh man, she did it. I mean, she made it. She came out here and that show. It's a small town. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine how much money she made on that show back in the day when things were syndicated? I watched that show every day. I know. I mean, John Ritter yeah. was a hero of mine. And yeah. back when there were like five things to watch, and then oh, that yeah. was one of them. <laughs> and they, way before I mean, they streaming. Made, they made syndication money, which is like, good Lord, people do not. I mean, that's a thing. That's like, that doesn't happen much anymore. I um I wanted to mention too I had uh, if you don't mind me bringing this up I read an article that you wrote um, for Romper about yeah. uh, fatherhood and male infertility and I wanted to thank you for writing it because um, we had a similar situation and ended up doing IVF and it was me not my wife and I just I really related wow. to the article so wow um, man thank I you really, for writing really it appre- uh, my plan I'm really that's incredible I, thanks for bringing that up thanks for telling me that. Wow, I've gotten emails, uh, but I've never had someone tell me that. In, I really, really appreciate. That means everything to me. That's that means that what I did was was worth it. And yeah, that was uh, not an easy thing to write, not an easy thing to talk about. And but I'm really glad I did because wow, just the minute you talk about it, it you you find uh, community and other guys that went through it, and other other couples that went through it because yeah. it's not just a thing you go through yourself. And it's so important that that nobody seems to really talk about this. I had a longer version that obviously got pared down where I kind of go into some of the reasons why culturally, I don't think that we talk about it and what, you know, mm. again, with what our generation was taught, what my generation and older was taught about manhood and, and that kind of thing and the language that they use. And I think how that's obviously shifting now, thank, thank goodness. So. Yep. You know, if I could just do a little bit to help that along, I was I was really happy to do it. And and you know, I, I think there's more to come. I, we had the IVF thing, and it was really harrowing. And it was that's like what a sequel there. So uh, my wife was actually writing a paper about that recently too. So again, it, it, when you're talking about journeys of people, like we're talking about with actors, when you're talking about making a baby, nobody's journey is the same. But if you can have something that you went through without any understanding of what you're going through. And to have somebody else say like, oh yeah, that's what that is. Then, then that was, that's really huge for me to hear. Thank you so much, Alan. Absolutely. I really appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Andrew, where, where can people find you? What are you working on right now? Is there anything you kind of want to share? Well, you've probably seen my face in a Geico commercial recently yep. with Angry Birds. I had no facial hair and a lot, my hair was a lot shorter, but my wife and I were in that spot together. And that was, we were really happy that that ran a lot. Um, so that, that's what I've been up to still auditioning and plugging away right now. I'm also writing, developing some projects for TV and film. So that's been really what I sit down and do every day. And in between that, I still crank away at my auditions, but yeah, that's what I'm up to right now. Still writing, maybe getting back into music, but just for fun, just for the fun of it and trying to convince some of the dudes from Mousetrap, maybe we should do something, but I mean, good Lord, I I don't even know if we could get into, into Chris Pratt's uh, schedule. (laughs) 
Well, we definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Definitely appreciate it. I know your your website's gentlemanrockstar.com, right? That's a good place it to is. find you. And yeah. And if you website. type in andrewburlinson.com, it'll take you right there. Anyway, stealthily. Yeah. Very nice. nice. Very nice. Guys, well, I really appreciate this. It's a lot of fun. And and Alan, that's I'm really glad on a personal note that that helped you in some way. I really, really appreciate that. Feel free to pass it on to anybody and everybody yeah. that might that might need some help. Yeah, there are a lot of guys who feel that way, and uh, it was good to see it in writing. And it was a funny article, too, but not only heartfelt, but I, I thought it had good humor in it. So thank you. Thanks, man. A spoonful of sugar, they say, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right, you guys, be well. All right. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you Take so care. much. My Bye. pleasure. Talk to you guys soon. See Bye. Ya. Right. Bye. everybody we're back well mark i think that was pretty good i i remembered the pieces of that interview unfortunately it was one of those where we did it a while ago i think this was in the spring if i don't if i'm not mistaken mark uh, we were covering episode 15 from season four which was dave returns i think that's right that sounds right yeah and i believe at that point we had a chance to talk to chief trumbull eric pierpoint and uh we aired his interview as part of that day's podcast so we kind of put andrews on on the back burner and we were hoping to tie it in to do something really kind of nice with mouse rat and we were able to do that last week in our grab bag yeah yeah i, I like how that uh how that worked out in our favor yeah well, as always, Mark, uh, we want to thank Andrew Burlinson. He was, uh, again, a great guest to have on the show. We've been blessed to have a lot of great guests. I know we've said that before, but it bears Absolutely. repeating. And, yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're both very grateful for that. We're also grateful to all of our listeners slash viewers. Um, I, we shared on the, the season four grab bag that we just hit 100,000 downloads, which, you know, for a couple schmoes isn't bad. That's right. When you, you're at a schmo level like we are, that's actually pretty good. It's pretty good. So, yeah. and uh, we're a couple thousand higher than that now since we've talked. So uh, we just keep on rolling. And you know what? Speaking of rolling, Mark, I think next week we're going to roll right into season five. Oh, can you believe it? We're at season five already. It's kind of hard to believe. If I'm not mistaken, Mark, uh, we, we got 22 episodes in season five, 22 episodes right. in season six. And then I think, right. what, 12 in season seven, something like that, maybe 16. It's a short season. Something like that. We're like done. We're done, done, done. done. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's sad. I don't want that to happen. I know. We've we've been at this for a minute, but, uh, and I was kind of happy to get to the halfway point. But now that we're on the downside of the slope, you know, I got to figure out what we're going to do after this. I don't know. I take a nap. Uh, Definitely. We've earned a nap. (laughs) I like the way you're thinking, Mark. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate you tuning in. As always, check us out on uh, the socials, on uh, that their Instagram and the Twitter thing. Uh, we're also on Facebook and we participate in some of the Facebook groups for uh, Parks and Recreation. Uh, our website has multiple ways to get a hold of us. So there's really no reason you you can't get a hold of us pretty easily. In fact, we've had a couple of listeners already get a hold of us since uh, the last grab bag, which included some mailbag. And uh, so we're building up a little bit of a stash for next time. Oh, I love it. Good job, viewers. Yeah, thanks, viewers. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us. 